What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. All right, Russ. So someone puts you up against the wall and they say, tell me what an NFT is right now. What's your first, what's your first words coming out of your mouth? An NFT is a non fungible. I thought it's fungible by the way, until (laughs) our our guest today, Josh Rose with crypto y'all, he broke that down. It's a non fungible token. Which, by the way, if you're a redneck like me and you're like, still, what does fungible mean? What does that mean? It's just my understanding of it is it's not something that has a specific value that like I couldn't show up to you with my NFT and try to trade for something else specifically just like it, because then that would make it fungible instead of non fungible. Exactly. Now, I mean, the, the fact that you've used these words means we've come a long way. Talking to somebody much smarter than us. And so, as you mentioned, Josh Rhodes with Crypto Y'all is our guest today. And man, I can't tell you, Russ, how many times in our Passive Income Mastermind, people have been bringing up this this topic, wanting to learn more about uh, crypto. In fact, as Josh says, people are crypto curious. And it's like, yes, that's exactly what's going on in the world right now is people are curious about crypto. They're hearing things and they don't understand exactly how it fits. And I'm just grateful we had the opportunity to have somebody with his knowledge bring it to our community to say, oh, there's also three different ways that you can use crypto to build wealth. Uh, What did you think about that, by the way? Yeah, well, anytime somebody can break down something in threes, right? I I can follow that. So there's appreciation, (laughs) there's cash flow, there's a collateralization aspect of it. I like that. I like the fact that we were able to go through and ask some questions, find out some of the the uniquenesses of it. So I got a question for you. You threw me on a spot there a second ago. I was like, man, thanks, bro. You're welcome. If you had to create your your first NFT, Joey, what would it be of? Man, I... To be honest, I have no idea, but I want to apply it to real estate. Like if I could apply it to this house that we are selling right now, I would do it in a heart. Missed opportunity. What? Missed what opportunity. Would you, what would you say? I, I say missed opportunity. This is the actual, the only way you can get Cousin Eddie, I think, to make money. I think there's people right now listening. I got a question this past week when, we, when I was at this event after you had left. People were asking me about Cousin Eddie. Like, how's Cousin Eddie doing? I was like, man, Cousin Eddie is much more popular with our friends like you listening to this podcast than it is with the people renting it, right? Like, if, <laughs> if Joey, if you could make that thing an NFT and sell ownership shares in Cousin Eddie across, there's actually potential that you could make money in it. You know what? I, I think that's a great idea. I could, like, I could put certain NFT on the tires, 
certain NFT on the, the toilet in there. I mean, everybody loves a good <laughs> RV toilet. You know, it's just it's just cool to own little unique parts of this this amazing vehicle that we've well, all come as to As you love. can hear, we know nothing about crypto, <laughs> y'all. We know nothing. And thankfully, our guest today does. We ask lots of questions, at least to our best ability. I hope you enjoyed this start. I, I feel like this is like version one of many, many more conversations we'll probably have with Josh, but thankfully Josh is inside of our community. So if you have those kind of questions and you're not a community member, jump in there right now, go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Cause that's really the first place to start finding out what your goal is. What is it that you want to do and be and have whenever you're financially free. And as a part of being a community member, you can DM people who you hear on this podcast because they come to add value long after the podcast has been aired. I hope you will take action on that. Joey, let's jump into our conversation right now with Josh Rhodes. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the show today, guys. You're in for a treat because if you have questions about NFTs or anything crypto, if you're crypto curious, you're in the right place. We have Josh Rhodes joining us today. Josh, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks, guys. Awesome to be here. We're, we're known as the slow talkers because we're from the South, but your your site is called Crypto Y'all. Yeah. I'm, I, I probably talk a little bit slower than y'all compared to where <laughs> y'all grew up and where I grew up. <laughs> How did you get crypto curious? I'm interested in that story. The, the phrase? Well, no, it's just being curious in crypto, oh. I guess. Well, um, I, I think it's impossible to explain that without explaining where I'm from, um, okay. but not not in detail. But I, I, I like to tell people that I basically grew up one generation, I guess, one generation removed from extreme poverty. Uh, mm. I grew up in northwest Alabama. Great place. Awesome family. They loved me. I was I was never without. But. We weren't rich. We weren't really middle class. And my grandma had to make ketchup. I mean, had to make spaghetti sauce with ketchup. Like she did, she couldn't afford produce always. And we, um, we made our way. My dad was a Marine Corps uh, veteran or Vietnam veteran. He a Marine and uh, came home from Vietnam and started a, a business selling lumber. And I never knew anything, right? You growing up, you don't know what you don't have and all that stuff. And he did the best he could, but he was really generous. Like people would, I lived out in the country, like people would drive up in our driveway and like borrow money from my dad uh, to pay utilities, to buy groceries, to, to pay for like baseball jerseys and stuff like that. And when I learned about that a few years later, I was like, my gosh, that's awesome. Cause then they would come back and pay him back every once in a while. And it was like a handshake and a smile. Like I grew up that way, but I was, I could reach my arm out and touch poverty at any given time. One day I was in my mom's off uh, in my, in the home office. My mom was balancing the checkbook and we had this crazy book 
by this crazy guy called Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that I, I didn't read it that day, but 10 years later when I dropped my ego and I read the book, uh, I started understanding what passive income looks like, assets, liabilities, generating passive income, all that stuff. And I bought, a, I, start, I started buying assets. I started investing in real estate all because I want to be generous like my dad at the end of the day. But I, I knew I couldn't do it trading time for money. And so crypto curia, my crypto curiosity came because I learned the language of investing in asset and passive income from real estate. And then the 2008 mortgage crisis happened. I, I was flipping a home. It was one of my first real estate investments. Literally the day I was putting the for sale sign in the front yard of this property, Bear Stearns had just gone under. If you guys remember when they crashed, it was like one of the first dominoes of the whole subprime mortgage crisis. And I remember thinking to myself as a young guy, you know, with a literally a, a baby on the way, first child going, what have I done? Like, this is a bit, you know, crazy. Somebody comes slow rolling down the street in a, in a vehicle and like a crazed lunatic, I, I walk out into the street and wave them down with both arms. And I was just like, hey, are y'all looking for a house? <laughs> and, and I even gave them the old fashioned, like, roll your window down crank with your with your hand. And I was like, hey, are y'all looking for a house? And it was a guy and his and his, his daughter who just graduated college. And they were looking, she has a new pharmaceutical job and they were looking for a, a, a house. And I was like, y'all come on in. And I, and the next day I had it under contract with those folks. So fast forward from that, I, I got out by the skin of my teeth, like literally just sold my way out of a situation. And from that moment and, and then getting into real estate investing, buy and hold rentals and all that stuff, I learned the language of assets and property. And then crypto, I got into crypto in 2018. Obviously, Bitcoin emerged as like that phoenix from the ashes of the 2008 subprime crisis. So the whole crypto curiosity thing, it's all part of my origin story. It's a part of my real estate passive income story. And um, I just fell in love with crypto because of all the awesome traits that it has. You say that Bitcoin rose from the ashes like a phoenix, if you will, from the two, like, and you referenced the 2008, 2009 mortgage crisis. Explain yeah. that to me. Yeah. Why it, you say that? Sure. Like, well, any of your listeners could go and Google the, the Bitcoin white paper and, and read it for themselves. But, you know, in 2009, I think it was 2009 is when the Bitcoin blockchain officially like was materialized and available for people where you could actually start mining Bitcoin. Um, and the, um, the person who, you know, created Bitcoin is anonymous, uh, intentionally. We don't know exactly who he is. There's a lot of conspiracy theories or who she is. Um, but the whole thing was to create a decentralized system that would prevent wall street or any central government from creating a, a level of manipulation that it would topple so many people's individual private wealth again, wealth again, and to create a peer-to-peer -peer network to where we can interact with each other without a third party, AKA a government or institutional corporations messing around with our stuff. And so Bitcoin was born kind of from that whole crisis. And, and so then 
when you said you got curious about it, what was it? Do you remember a specific, because you said not until 2018. Yeah. What was it that kind of spurred that on? Well, I think like many investors and humans, we invest around the hype and the emotion of things. If you ever look at those, um, there's a lot of graphs and images on the internet that show the different psychologies of investment. I think um, when I got in on on Bitcoin, it was after the big dump of 2017. It was a major uh, price um, collapse in 17. After that, it started to go back up again. Long story short, and I I think I just caught I caught a whiff of the of the hype that was happening, and I, I got on board. You know, every time there's a new pump in the market. In any new market, this was an this is an infantile market, 14 years old, 13 years old. Anytime there's a big pump, there's a massive amount of adoption because people are trying to not fo- they're FOMOing into a, a movement. And so I, like everyone else, FOMOed in. Well, good news is I FOMOed in when when Bitcoin was like at, I don't know, I think it was like eleven or twelve thousand dollars. You know, you can go back and find tweets of this one guy named Nick Allen in 2011 who said, I'm so glad I didn't buy into this garbage. It's at $2. It's collapsed to $2.70. And then some guy like recently came back and said in, in the same tweet, I guess he saved it or whatever. Hey, are you, is this guy still alive? And Nick Allen responds to his own tweet and says, yes, I'm alive, but dead inside. Oh, man. Because <laughs> he missed out. So I FOMO'd in like everybody else during a, during a market pump. So what is it that you specifically like about it outside of that? Like for you as an investor, somebody who had been in real estate, business owner, what else about you was attracted to this cryptocurrency? Well, I'm the kind of person that once I get interested in something, I kind of turn into a nerd um, and go and do a deep dive. And, you know, when you get into real estate investing and you get into business ownership and you start looking around as an entrepreneur, as an investor, you start looking at the world with business ownership eyes, you start to respect the traits of money and assets. And I think the traits of Bitcoin and crypto, the greater crypto market, although Bitcoin is a very different animal, um, the, the, the traits um, and characteristics of Bitcoin compared to like the fiat dollar or even gold uh, and precious metals, um, they stand out, you know, they're just, a, they're, they're superior in terms of their traits. The only thing that Bitcoin doesn't have that the other monies that I've mentioned have are like they're issued by sovereign governments. Um, and that's just something that Bitcoin is not, which is actually a pro. What, what are some of the, just, just so we don't assume, what are some of the characteristics that you, you say are, are kind of superior? Well, um, there's durability, you know, the durability of Bitcoin and gold, for example, to be able to hold their value over um, two, five, ten years at a time um, versus the dollar. You know, the, there's, a, there's no central government that can print more Bitcoin um, and, infl- and create hyperinflation and therefore deflate the value of a Bitcoin. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever because it's, um, driven by an incorruptible software on a blockchain that no government or institution or traditional bank can manipulate. So the durability is awesome. The supply and demand factor uh, factors are there. Uh, the portability is awesome compared to gold. If you want to buy a house or an ice cream cone, 
You have to go get a dump truck or a wheelbarrow to and find the high security warehouse where your gold is hidden um, to buy it with gold. Uh, but with Bitcoin, you know, I could buy I could buy an ice cream cone in, in 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 India from where I'm sitting right now if I had the wallet address of the of the vendor, um, and I could do it within seconds without sending it through the traditional bank Swift system, for example, that. Um, you know, it might take one or two days for ACH or wires to go through. So um, portability is awesome. There's there's dozens. As a matter of fact, uh, Fidelity, who, who controls about $4 trillion of wealth management globally, came out with a 26-page report. Who do, They do a deep dive into this. Um, they've been in Bitcoin since 2014, and I don't, I'm not sure everyone knew it. It's really, it really kind of a bombshell report. Well, that that's that's amazing. Now, I, I want to hear more about how when you first started, were you thinking about it from more of a speculation? Like, hey, I need to get in on this because I think it'll grow and I, I want to be able to, you know, to cash out at some point. Because we talk about the hierarchy of wealth on our show in where we start with cash and cash value. We go into control items like your own business and things of that nature, then into uh, collateral like real yeah. estate and, and other things. But the, at the very top is speculation. And we find that most people look at assets only from that aspect. They don't think about it from a cash flow perspective. They think about it as, well, I hope that it goes up in value because they've been trained by Wall Street and other places right. to view things in that, that regard. When you started we're in crypto, was it more from that side or did you always think about it from hey, there's a, an ability for this to turn into cash flow. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I, I, I had enough foresight um, to think that it would be a good cash flow engine. And also in, in, in crypto years, man, three months is four years. Like it's almost like internet speed, like internet years, internet marketing and sales business, online business. Like it's just crazy the way things evolve. When I... When I got in, I came in on that speculation in, through that speculation doorway. I, I knew that there was an accretive asset here because if you look at the track record, it had never been hacked. It still hasn't been hacked. You know, people have all these like cons against Bitcoin as a platform. Uh, it's incorruptible. And then it's it's performed at, at least prior to 2022 annually. I think the returns are over 200 percent a year. Um, so I was just like, okay, well, I can speculate into this. I can FOMO into this, and it can. It, I think it has a creative value, and we'll see where it goes. And then, because I was passionate, I got, I got, I just the more interested and the more I invested, obviously, the more passionate I became. And then the crypto industry just started evolving around me. DeFi happened in 2020. The DeFi summer happened, which is which presented all kinds of cash flow opportunities, all kinds of short and long term. Um, return opportunities there. And then um, the collateralization of, of crypto uh, started emerging with Bitcoin lenders happening where you've got the same properties that, you know, infinite banking, whole life insurance and real estate can provide to, uh, you know, to, to lean, to lean against or loan against your, your, your property to buy more cash flowing assets. And so all that stuff kind of evolved around me that I'm, that I'm happy to be able to participate in now. All right. So you threw a new new word in that equation that we hadn't heard. Was DeFi? What is DeFi? Yeah. It's the it's it's a decentralized finance. Um, 
and <laughs> it's a massive it's a massive theater inside the crypto world. And the thing that everybody needs to understand about cryptocurrency is it's way more complex or it's way more dynamic than just Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's way more dynamic than NFTs as well. Um, Definance is uh, an area where you find a lot of speculation, a lot of risk, a lot of volatility. Um, and you'll see investment vehicles and different crypto projects that have um, I guess more of like a two, three dimensional, maybe sometimes a four dimensional earning capability where you've got a native token, the, uh, the currency itself. And then you got on top of that, a rebasement or a compounding effect where you're just by holding or staking a particular token in a project, locking it up, kind of like a certificate of deposit at a bank. And um, if, you know, for a lot of our traditional banker listeners, um, but you're not earning 2% or 4%. You're earning in some cases, 400%, 4,000%, 40,000 APYs. Um, and th they might be variable rates though. So it, like I said, it, it, we don't have enough time. We could, we could do two shows on DeFi, but that's kind of the world. It's like a, it's a, it's, it's a bankless system where you're not asking Wells Fargo or one of the the big banks to give you a 10% return or a 4% return on your money, but you can use liquidity pools. It's like a decentralized hedge fund for lack of better words, or where you and I put our money in and the, the decentralized autonomous organization, if you will, has a government system in it and there's votes and the people make investments and it's very democratized. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you got to go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. So, so is it fair to say that it's almost like a an improvement on traditional banking in a decentralized manner? Like, mirrors some of the things that we're used to, like you mentioned, yeah. like CD versus, um, and then collateralization and all those things. Like we're, we're used to those topics in a yeah. traditional banking, but they've taken it and improved it. Is that that's fair right. way? hundred percent. And I think the purists would say it's, it is, that's exactly what it is and it should replace the traditional system. So, so let me, let me bring up a hot topic and just since we have somebody with your experience on the show, NFTs, we have people in our passive income mastermind right now saying we need to hear how people are using NFTs. They feel like they're in the middle of this FOMO that you just yeah. mentioned is what kind of drove you. They're like, I keep hearing about them, but I don't understand. They're just, they're just like this crazy idea that people are selling art differently or something. Right. <laughs> How, how would you sum up what an NFT is? And then I'd like to go further and talk about that along with 
these other things you've mentioned, how they become passive income streams or can they become passive income streams? Sure. So let's keep it country simple for a second. And let's just say, you know, when you buy a house, you get a deed at the county courthouse that says this house belongs to Joey. This house belongs to Russ. This house belongs to Josh. Well, an NFT is effectively a virtual or a digital deed that um, certifies uh, the immutable ownership of a particular digital or now even physical assets. So like a home in, uh, I can't remember in Florida, the name of the town, a home in February on February 10th was auctioned off. Uh, the, the winning, it had over 7,000 bids. It was sold as an NFT. So the owner not only has the traditional courthouse deed and everything, but they also have an NFT. So if they ever want to sell the home, they can sell the NFT and whoever has the NFT owns it's on a blockchain that a company called Proppy created. And it's the verifiable ledger that says Josh owns this home. Well, now they're that that's like one of the first of its kind. But it didn't start that way. It started with crazy pictures and artwork, right? Like Board 8 Yacht Club and um, digital zombies and, you know, weird stuff. And the reason why it started on that side of the spectrum is because we didn't have language for smart contracts, which ultimately smart contracts is what we're really talking about when we talk about NFTs and, and, and having ownership. Because I could sell you my crypto y'all uh, NFT today. And you get all this, you own all this, you know, uh, I, uh, inter, uh, intellectual property or you own X, Y, and Z benefits. But if you ever sell it, I might have built into the co smart contract a 2.5% uh, origination fee of some kind. And every time that NFT is sold, I still get paid, which is an awesome passive income strategy uh, for those of you in your master, for those in your mastermind who are asking that question, you know, so creating these assets. So like when I sell my house today and then someone else buys it and then they sell it in the future, I don't get a fee off of that resale of my past house. You know, I've owned like six or seven primary residencies. I'm not getting, I'm not making any money off of those that I, that I moved out of, but with NFTs you can, and that's kind of the short and skinny. We can go wherever you want to. With that. Well, can anybody create an NFT? And if so, how would they do it? They can. Um, and it depends on how dynamic you need the NFT to be. NFT stands for non-fungible token. So we need to be able to put that on the table right next to Bitcoin, the dollar and gold. So if you're holding a dollar and I'm holding a dollar bill and we trade dollar bills, we still have the same amount of money. But if we have NFTs, they're not fungible like dollar bills are. They're non-fungible in that they're created to be unique. Now, if you create some NFTs that are all the same, then you've kind of defeated the purpose and you've created a fungible token. So the whole, the thing that you'll see with all these projects like Board Ape Yacht Club or something is that they are, they're, they're, you know, if there's 5,000 of them, there's, they're all algorithmically unique somehow. And their uniqueness, yes, brings them value from an artistic status standpoint, but what you, what you always want to look for underneath is that smart contract of the benefits that owners get. And so depending on what kind of, NFT you want to create, you might need to partner with a software developer or someone who, who can do crypto software development, um, blockchain development. Uh, but you can go as cheap as buying a, you know, a $200 NFT creator online and hosting it on OpenSea.io. You know, it's, you can go as cheap or as expensive as you want. Now, now Russ is 
he's actually taking his shoes off and checking his feet when you're talking about fungible things. Um, it, it, you know, just in, in light of that, what you're saying is that they've been able to take the ownership piece and break it apart into smaller portions yeah. that then can be traded with other people, but not necessarily exact like this one token for this token, it's this partic- particular asset that's backing it has a pers- has a value and my my token will grow or lose value based on the asset behind it, correct? That's right, 100%, absolutely. And so therefore, if I ever want to trade that with somebody else, I have to, we're going to have to verify what the value of those two assets that are backing them are at the particular time that they are being traded. Yeah. And um, to make it easier on you there with that scenario, these NFTs are all built on what we call layer one crypto blockchains. So Ethereum, Polygon, uh, AVAX or Avalanche, um, uh, Solana, there's different crypto networks or blockchain layers that these are built on. And the NFTs, depending on which layer or which network you decide to build them on, their native token is what they're backed by or what their valuation will come in. So, for example, just before this show, I sold a purple unicorn uh, NFT that was uh, that sold for I bought it for 0.34 ethereum and i sold it for 1.8 ethereum so it's like i i I bought it for like 400 i sold it for like 3100 and um that was on the ethereum blockchain so when when the auction closed or when the when the sale closed the smart contract immediately distributed ownership of my purple unicorn which is actually a character in a video game that's coming up um it distributed the unicorn to the new owner and it distributed to me the ethereum that 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 i was due there was no there was no agent there was no broker there was no middleman it was decentralized Russ, this is, I, are you this are you thinking what i'm thinking this may be the first time someone sold a unicorn and the three of us had actually made money <laughs> for, our, for avid listeners they know exactly what i'm talking about josh yeah 100 unicorns.com is uh about to get a whole new facelift is what i'm thinking <laughs> russ what do you think absolutely all right so this is this is fascinating and i know we're probably you know crushing you with all these questions but i want to i want to shift to that person who has been building cash they've been um taking advantage of infinite banking and, and they've been pouring money into life insurance contracts and they say, I want to now start creating passive income. Maybe this crypto world is the means by which we'll line up with who I am as an investor, right? Now you've already talked about one strategy or maybe a couple in which people can create passive income with NFTs, with crypto. Help, help me understand a couple other specific ways people are creating passive income in this in this genre well the crypto y'all community we focus on three wealth strategies with crypto okay the first one is your good old-fashioned buy and hold appreciation strategy you know i I, i'm gonna buy some land outside of town and let the city sprawl get to it and my land goes up in value and i sell it to the next business or whoever wants it so the buy and hold is i'm gonna pick a blue chip 
what I what I value to be a blue chip crypto project. And, you know, I'm going to buy Bitcoin in 2011 when it's two dollars. I'm going to hold it for 10 years and sit on it. Right. Um, and but a lot of buy and hold, a lot of buy and hold strategies, though, is not in crypto is not five or 10 years. It's like 12 months because of the cycles uh, that we're in. And this is an interesting dynamic to pause on for everybody listening, because there are way more cycles happening in the crypto market than you'll see even in the stock market or other asset classes because of its infancy. So it's still like you're it's still early, like there's still volatility. And so if you if you're if you have the patience and the emotional detachment to ride the waves of the volatility, you might be able to go through three or four cycles in a year you know, buy low, sell high three or four times just on one particular crypto. Maybe you just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make money on Ethereum this year. If you if you hang with it and you pay attention throughout the year three or four times, you've got three or four buy sell moments. You can make a lot of money just doing that. And that's almost a great passive income on an annual level. That's a passive income strategy, uh, depending on your initial capital. Uh, The second well, strategy is cash flow. It's that definance opportunity to go and find a high yielding uh, DeFi decentralized finance vehicle. I like, for example, one of them that I invest in. Uh, I put two thousand dollars in it. Um, it it pays one hundred and two percent annual percentage yield, which comes out to about one point nine percent a day on my capital. Um, and it has a native token price that, vo- that that vacillates. And so if the token price goes down, the 102% APY is kind of holding your the, the value of your balance or your purse uh, steady. Um, and then when the no- native token price comes back up, you've got even more value. But again, you got to make sure you're in the right project. Do they have docs? You know, developers and leaders of the project. Is it something that's out in the open above the above the fray? Um, you got to do your research. When you say that, that that you said do the research, what would the person with with no experience and understanding like Joey or I in this, how would we do our research? What would be the thing that we would look for? Yeah, there's a lot of things. I've got a checklist uh, that I can give your listeners um, if they um, if they want it. But the big ones, I'll go through the big ones. Number one, do they have anonymous does the project or the crypto protocol have anonymous founders or is the team fully publicized and doxxed? Are they out in the open? And do they have a track record of success? I mean, this is Warren Buffett 101 type stuff. You know, who is the management team? So that's, that's you know, do they, you know, if you're investing in a crypto gaming platform, for example, you know, do those people come from AAA gaming uh, brands like, you know, uh, EA Sports or, you know, whatever PlayStation and Xbox, uh, you know, pays people to make from these gaming studios. Do they come from there? There's a lot of crypto games these days who have a lot of the old guard from these successful multi-billion dollar games running them. Well, I can trust them with my money. Number two um, is, uh, you know, is the, are the, um, is I'll just stick with gaming for a second because it's easier to talk about in the hypothetical. You know, if, if it's a crypto game, there's there's a whole play to earn gaming industry that's burgeoning right now. Is the design is the, are the aesthetics awesome? You know, 
Um, is it cool? And is the game fun? Does it have aspects of games that we grew up with or um, playability that or that's going to create a massive adoption effect? And what you're looking for is Metcast law of adoption. You know, the the more people that get on a net a platform, the more valuable that platform becomes, and more valuable the assets that we own on those platform become. And so, those are some of the big ones that I would start with as a beginner if you're looking at different projects and protocols you want to look into the actual like lift lift it under the lid what's the um the market capitalization you know is it a is it a 20 million dollar market cap or is it a billion dollar market cap because if it's a 20 million you're going to get a lot more volatility but you might you have a way better chance of 10xing or 100xing your dollars uh, or your value there than you do with something that has a billion dollars um, market cap because they move a little bit slower and they're already kind of stabilized. So that's short answer. We could go deep as you want to on that. All right, Russ, you you, you shut him off. He was about to hit the third wealth strategy, <laughs> and you just you just totally cut him off. Well, the third the third strategy is is um, um, the collateralization or the the the, the leverage strategy. So there's a lot of areas now, a lot of vendors online, a lot of uh, lenders uh, that'll allow you to, for example, I took a Bitcoin position of mine uh, from one of my portfolios. I, I brought it to uh, BlockFi uh, is my preferred lender. BlockFi will give you a 35, 50%, 75% loan to value on your Bitcoin or on your stable coin, which is pegged to the US dollar basically a digital digital version of the dollar. And uh, I took that money and went and made a down payment on a rental property that pays six times what I'm paying on my uh, interest payment back to BlockFi for my, my, my Bitcoin collateral, my loan. And uh, up until recently, um, they were also allowing my Bitcoin to sit in a interest er, an, er, an interest earning account while in a loan. So I was actually earning 4.5% on the Bitcoin. I was paying, I think, an 8% interest on the paint on the loan that I got. So I had about a what is that? A 4% to 3.5% spread there. Uh, and then my my home cash flows $600 a month. So you know I had another 20 or $30 I had to pay um, out of that towards Block five, but you know that's what the wealthy do, right? They don't sell their assets; they loan against them, and they create more cash flow with them. And so that's the that's the hope. All right. Well, clearly we've only scratched the surface on crypto. This was just an objective for Joey and I to learn about NFTs and what that even meant. I, I don't even think Joey knew what NFT stood for. So thank <laughs> you for clearing that up for us. That was a that was going to be a discussion after the fact, and you showed him how he can actually take unicorns and make money on it. Whether he could do that, I, I have serious doubts, Josh, that he could actually make money in unicorns, even if you showed him how to do this NFT thing. Somebody wants to learn more about this. Somebody else is crypto curious. Where would they go? Yeah, just go to our website, uh, cryptoyall.co. Uh, you won't find a lot of about us or biographies there. You'll simply see an opportunity to opt into my case study. Uh, get on my newsletter. I'll send you a case study of how I took one of my portfolios from zero to a um, couple hundred thousand dollars and watch it and enjoy it. And if you like the email, the, the email newsletter is the crypto curious newsletter. And uh, I'll just hit you with all kinds of goodness there on various topics inside of cryptocurrency. 
Dude, that's that's so awesome. Thank you. So yeah, take take Josh up on that. Go to crypto y'all for non-southerners. That's y a l l dot c o, crypto y'all dot c o. All right, and Josh, thanks for being a part of this show. Thank you as always for listening and for being a part of the movement of Wealth Without Wall Street. If you like this, please share it. Please rate and review us so other people can find us online and uh, and also be a part of this movement along with us. We'll see you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.